2020 everyone was so excited because it's like 2020 and especially in the church world it's like the 2020 vision and like all of this stuff and it was so exciting to have that number you know what I mean like you can do so many things with it right and then 2020 comes and boom a pandemic and that vision went down quick you know so um but 2023 doesn't have anything special no special ring to it but hey God's present and he's in our lives, and we can expect great things from him because he is great, and he's in us, and he's moving through us, and I'm excited to see what God does within this church body this year, uh, and uh, I'm excited to see what God does in your lives and in my own life uh, because he does have a plan, and he is moving, and he is powerful, and he is wonderful, and so if we're connected with him and we're aligned with him, then we can expect great things. Amen? All right. Um, so... How many guys ha- do the New Year's resolution thing? Anybody? <laughs> You're like, I don't want to raise my hand because that's like not as cool now. You know, but yes, so I, I will say that I love New Year's. Katie and I both, we're big fans. And we love the idea of a fresh start. We know that there's no actual difference between like yesterday and today. It's just another day. But it's, a, it's an opportunity for intentionality right? Uh, and so I get an opportunity to set goals and to have uh, intentional purpose to the present moment and to this year. And so I love the opportunity to start fresh and to make new goals. And you guys know with New Year's resolutions, they last, I think, what's the average? Is it like three weeks? Is that right? I think it's like 21 days. Maybe it's less than that. I don't know, 13 days. Um, But it's something like that. It's like it lasts about three weeks, maybe three months or something. And then, you know, our resolutions kind of, we lose lose heart, right? And then we just kind of go back to whatever. But if you notice, the people who keep their resolutions, the ones who like actually achieve their goals, most of the time, it's not because they had an amazing plan. Like, because we can have great plans of like, man, we're going to do this, and I've got it all planned out, and I've got a system of going to the gym, and I'm going to do this or whatever. You know, typically it's weight loss. That's our thing, right? And so, and so we, we're, I'm not going to eat junk food anymore, you know, whatever. And so we set these resolutions, and we have this great plan, and it doesn't follow, we don't follow through with it. But the people who do, what I've noticed with them is that there was some kind of change of heart within them prior to ever making the resolution. Something happened in their life that changed them. And so maybe it was like a a really traumatic uh, instance of something bad that took place or something really amazing took place, but something happened in their heart. And then when they set a goal, they were a different person. So naturally they could meet that goal. 
but it wasn't because they gritted their teeth and they clenched their fists and they pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and, and they just pushed through and they got this new thing. That's typically not the case. Now, some people can do that, but for the most part, it's, it's a change of heart took place. Um, and I think it's true in our walk with Christ that we can set all the plans and the goals that we want to about how we're going to spend more time in prayer, or we're going to read through the Bible, or we're going to, you know, whatever it is. We're going to have more time, or we're going to do devos with the family, like every night. <laughs> you know, that doesn't happen. Um, or whatever. And so we set these amazing goals, and we're going to do all these awesome things, and all these great intentions. We have wonderful plans. But typically, what the change that comes in our life, when we really start seeing transformation, it's because something shifted in our heart. Not in our head. Not because we're like, okay, now I'm going to be disciplined and just suddenly start doing this. No, God touched our life. And because of that, we are now different. We're a different person. And that was my experience. Uh, in my early walk with Jesus, uh, it, was, it was kind of just doing the right thing. You know, uh, I would get up, I would spend some time in the Bible, and, and I would pray for my family or whatever, and just kind of went through the motions. And it wasn't bad. It wasn't like a negative thing. It's good. It's a good thing. Um, but it was just, there wasn't a whole lot of life in it. It was just something that it was the right thing to do, so I did it, right? But then I had a moment in my life where I encountered Jesus in just this undeniable way. I went on this, it was actually funny because the retreat was called an encounter retreat, and I encountered Jesus, what do you know? Um, and so we went on this encounter retreat, it was an intense like three days of just dedicated to seeking God. And, uh, and we went through everything. We, we, we had a session on the cross where we just laid our lives down and responded to saying, I, I'm, it's all in for Jesus. We had moments uh, where we talked about like self-image, where we talked about family hurts and unforgiveness in our past and our wounds. We talked about uh, deliverance and freedom and living in the freedom of God's spirit and the fullness of his spirit and all this different stuff packed into a weekend. It was like oaks in a weekend. It was nuts. Um, it was intense and I was like half dead by the time it was over, but I was alive. Something came alive in me because I, I had an encounter with Jesus, and I received a touch of God. And then, suddenly, all the plans that I was trying to fulfill, all the goals I was trying to reach in pursuing Jesus became a natural, organic flow of my life. It wasn't something that I was like, okay, now I really have to read the Bible. I wanted to. There was a hunger there. There was something alive in me, a draw to Jesus. And so the title of my message this morning is The Touch of God. And so let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are here. Holy Spirit, I ask that you speak to us, speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that our hearts will be open to receive from you today, Jesus. I pray that uh, it won't be my words, Lord, that anything that I say that is not of you will fall to the ground and die, Lord, but I pray that we will receive from your words, Jesus, and what you are speaking to us this morning. Lord, we love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, we are kicking off a new series uh, this week and kind of next week is really the beginning. So this, today's kind of an introduction into it, but we're going to do, be doing a series on vision. 
And so we're going to be talking about the vision of God, his vision for the world, and how he is a visionary. And then we're going to talk about how we as a church align ourselves with God's vision and then express our own unique vision as well. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to roll out what God has called us to do as a church going forward this year and in years to come. The vision for our church, our vision, our mission, our values. Um, we're going to lay it all out there uh, over the next few weeks. And then on the 29th, the last week of the series, we'll put it all together. And, and we'll say, okay, this is it. This is who we are as a church. This is where we're going. This is what God has called us to do. And, uh, and we're going to lay it out. It's going to be awesome. That sound good? All right, so... Today is kind of the intro. Uh, we're going to be looking at two different stories, Old and New Testament. We're going to look at Ezra, the story of rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. And then we're also going to look in the book of Acts at the story of God building the church, his body, and also started in Jerusalem, which is really cool. And there's a lot of different correlating values there that are really neat. And we're going to see, we're going to look at God's way, his way of doing things and carrying out his vision in the world. But before we do that, I want us to look at where we start. Where does it all begin? Uh, so first, first off, God is a visionary. How many of you guys know? He, he's a visionary. I mean, just look around you. Look at the world. Look at creation. Wow, that guy has some vision. Right? And can you imagine if God created the earth in like six days, right? The, the earth, the heavens, the universe, whatever, and boom, breathed it in. Six, and he's been working and preparing a place for us for thousands of years. Um, wow. Right? Heaven is going to be crazy. It's going to be wonderful. Right? And so God is a visionary. He has a dream. He's a dreamer. And he has a desired goal. He has painted a picture for his desired end for all of humanity. And we are a part, if we are partnered with Jesus, we are on the march towards that desired end. Which, man, I can't wait to see. If that's his big dream, if God has a big end destination of what he dreams about and what, what he wants for our world and for us, man, I want to be a part of that. Because that's going to be incredible. God is a visionary, and his dream is to see the world reconciled to himself. He wants to see people in relationship with himself. He loves every individual on the face of the planet. And the Bible says that God wishes that none should perish, but everyone repent, come to repentance, and be reconciled with their heavenly Father. This is what God desires. It's his passion, is that the whole world be reconciled back in relationship to himself, union with God, that we would be one with him, connected. Jesus' prayer in John 17, that we may be one with each other and one with him. That was the prayer of Jesus, and we talked about it in the book of Ephesians, how Paul kept on referencing this great mystery, God's huge plan for the world, and, and now the mystery's been revealed. Let's look. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. So he wanted to make known to us the mystery of his will, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. That sounds like a plan, right? When the times reach their fulfillment. It's a strategic plan to bring unity 
to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. The big plan was that God would unite all people together to himself under Christ as the head and that we would live forever in his presence and that he would be in the midst of his people. Just like the temple in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, just like our hearts today, the new temple of the Holy Spirit, that he would be in the midst of his people this was his desire. This is his, not was, is his dream. So he's a dreamer. How many, how many dreamers do we have in the room? Like you're, dream, you're the ones who are like in school and like you're kind of like, Billy, 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 oh, huh? Huh? You know, it's like, so I have, I have a couple of those myself and, uh, and it's amazing. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> one of my sons, um, I'm like, I, I don't want to say his name, but throw him under the bus, but you probably already know if you know my family who he is. But um, Gabriel, Gabriel, hey, Gabriel, Gabriel, Gabriel. <laughs> like, and I'll say his name like 20 times, and he's just, and he's not like looking at a screen or anything. He'll just be in his own world. And then finally, after about 20 times, or if I just grab him or something, like he needs like physical contact to be able to hear me, then he's there. He's suddenly present. Oh, hey. There you are. Um, and I was like, did you hear anything I said? <laughs> we do family devos in the morning, and it's wonderful because we'll share. I was like, okay, Gabriel, put that down or whatever. Okay. And then uh, he's looking at me, and I'm like, all right. So I said that God, blah, 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 blah. And it was like something real simple. I was like, so what did I say? And I will literally tell him and then say, what did I say? And then he'll be, uh, God. God did something. I'm like, close enough. All right. <laughs> so he's, he's a dreamer, right? So you have the dreamers, right? And we're made in God's image. Those, those of you who are dreamers in the room, God's a dreamer. You're made in his How many planners do we have in the room? Planners. Like, yeah, all right, there we go. So the majority. Okay, so we're more of a planner church. That's okay. I, I'm all, I'm into the planning. I love plans. You know, Katie's like, plans are so restrictive. And I'm like, nah, plans are liberating. You know, so, uh, but you're a planner. Well, guess what? You're also made in the image of God. And that's also a unique expression of God's character and who he is in you as a planner because God is both. God is a dreamer. Absolutely, that's where we get it from. He paints beautiful pictures and desired ends for our lives and for humanity. And God is a planner. He's got a plan. He's got a strategic plan. He doesn't just have some beautiful dream. He has a strategic mission that will then accomplish and lead to the fulfillment of that dream and of that vision. So God is intentional. So you see it even in creation at the beginning of time. Right, So everything started with God kind of molds Adam. Well, he creates the world and everything. And then he kind of molds Adam out of the dust of the earth, the Bible says. And then God breathed life into Adam, and he became a living being. So to me, that tells me that he was a being before that. But then when God breathed in him, then he was alive. He was a living being. And so before anything else, everything started with what? A touch of God. It started with God breathing life into Adam. And God became, and then Adam became, God became alive. And Adam became a living being. And man, that's true in my life. There's times where I feel like I haven't connected with the breath of God. 
where I, I just, I feel like things are just getting dry and they're becoming monotonous and it's becoming obligatory and it's like, and the life is kind of being sucked out of the things that once brought me joy and I need, I know I need to reconnect with the presence of God. I need God to breathe in me life and I want to come to life. I want to be a living being. I want to live and move and have my being in God's spirit, right? Through him, we're able to do that. So that means apart from him, we can't do that. We can do nothing, the Bible says. John 15. So it all started with breathing life, and then Adam became a living being. And then Adam had a relationship with God. It was just him and God, just chilling in the garden, doing stuff, right? And so he's naming animals, and then, and then so, so it starts there, God touches him, then he's, he's in relationship with God, working with him, and then God says, hey, it's not good for man to be alone. Let's create a partner for him. And so the Eve was made, and so then you have community with the two of them, also in relationship with God. And then the last thing you see is after he created both of them together, it says, then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over everything that moves on the earth. So it started with the touch of God, then relationship with the father between Adam, then relationship with his wife Eve, and then the mission. God gave them a function, a purpose, something to do in the world, to carry out his vision for the world because they were partners with him. Even at the beginning of time, they were his ambassadors to this world. They were the delegated authority over the earth to rule and have dominion over this earth in alignment with the kingdom of heaven, in alignment with God's kingdom, right? They were his delegated authority here. And of course, they screwed it up. You know, we know the story. But that was how it began, partnership with God for his vision for, I guess, the universe, right? or vision for the world. So the way God carries out his vision, his way of carrying out his vision is personal, communal, and missional. So his way of carrying out his vision is personal. It's intimate. It is one-on-one. It's us and the Lord. That's what's so great. You look throughout the book of Acts, God's speaking to people, individual people, and then he's telling them, Go and do this to a person. It wasn't just to a group of people. He spoke to individuals, and he continues throughout all of human history speaking to us as individuals in relationship with him. If we're willing to be, he opens himself up to personal relationship with us as individuals. And his vision is personal. There is a place for us specifically within the vision of God, and it starts with that relationship with God personal, and then communal, as we see. And it was some people that God would uh, covenant with. So whether it was Abraham or the children of Israel in the Old Testament, that was the people of God he covenanted, covenanted with. And then the New Testament, it's the church, the body of Christ, that he covenants with a group of people. It is communal, in a community, all aligned together with God's vision and carrying it out in the world. So it is personal, it is communal, and it's missional. Again, he gave them a function, something to do. He wasn't just like, all right, we'll just hang out. That's what we're going to do. You know, you hang out with me, you hang out with each other, and that's, that's the mission. 
No, there was a, there was a function. Jesus was a very missional individual. I mean, he said he, he would, people were coming to Christ, the Samaritan woman, right? And all these people are coming to know Jesus uh, in that village. And then God's like, I, Jesus is like, I got to move on. I have to move on to the next town because God's called me to move on and I have to listen to him. And so he was on mission when he was here. And then the Great Commission was his final words to his disciples. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every living creature. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all I've commanded you to do. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He's saying there is a mission to accomplish that you, when you tether yourself to me and you yoke up with me and you're partnered with me, then you also get to be partnered with my work and my vision for this world to reconcile all people back in relationship to the Father. So, his way is personal, it is communal, it is missional. You could say upward, inward, outward, right? So in that order, it starts here, right? What's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, everything. Orient your life entirely around your relationship with him. Okay, so that's one. Right? So that's the personal aspect. Upward, that relationship, then inward, one to another. Love your neighbor as yourself. And my dad used to always say, your neighbor is the people closest to you. And so and that could, I would say that would start with your spouse, if you have one, and then your family, and then kind of moving on from there. Love God, upward, inward, love your neighbor. And then outward, the Great Commission, go. Go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations. Preach the gospel to every living creature. Go out, outward, upward, inward, outward, in that order. That's the flow that you see throughout Scripture. God's natural order. Here, here, here. And that's the way he wants us to see his vision come to fruition. So that's his way, right? And then the goal or the desired end of the vision was ultimately, like I said, man reconciled with God. Now, I think most churches, most Christ-centered churches, share the same goal. Like, we, we want to see people come to know Jesus. We want to see people thriving in a relationship with God. Like, most churches share that. Uh, and I've got to be a part of a lot of really great churches over the years in my life. And yeah, ultimately, their vision, their mission was very similar. You know, we're all following the same Jesus, right? We're hopefully, hopefully, we're all, follow, we're all reading the same Bible, right? We're all filled with the same spirit. So naturally, there's going to be a lot of sameness. There's going to be a lot that's alike within churches. Uh, and so I believe the goal is that, to see the world reconciled to God. That's the big thing, that we could all be one, unify with Jesus as a church. And people experience God's purpose for their life. And the way is also, you see that in a lot of churches. Again, the three big things, upward, inward, outward, right? Knowing God in personal relationship. Uh, living in authentic community with other believers, right? And then living missionally in our world, you know, and then being a part of God's mission and answering the call of God on our lives. Um, and so his, the goal and the way are, are very similar. And I, and I would hope that every church would practice those things because I feel like that is kind of the, the collective and corporate vision of God and his people within the body of Christ all over the world. Is, are those things, relationship with God, relationship with each other, loving one another, 
the great commandment and the great commission, right? So there's similarities there. Now, the message is sacred. That's the gospel. The message is sacred. The gospel of Jesus. Jesus' death on the cross. Loving God, loving others. The great commission. That is sacred, absolutely. But the method, the way in which we communicate those things and the way in which we do things, that can be different. And you see that, right? In different churches, they have a different way. And and certain churches have a certain culture. So there might be something that they really, really focus on and are really great at. Like they have just amazing worship or something. And that's like, that's kind of their thing. Or maybe it's, they're just really, really into the word of God. And the other churches are too, but that's like their thing is like the word or, or whatever it is. Or it's community, relationships, small groups. Different things that make up their culture, which is kind of like their flavor. Just like every individual person, we're all made in God's image, but how many of you guys know we are not the same? Right? Same thing with the body of Christ. We are an expression of God as a group of people in a local church. And so that expression will be different depending on that specific body and what God has called them to do, uh, which there's a collective purpose, but also a unique expression. And so we as a church have a unique expression of those overarching values and vision and mission. We have a unique way in which we are going to communicate that in a culture that we are going to cultivate in those areas, in relationship with God, relationship with others, and in missional living. And so uh, as the leadership of the church, uh, the elders and I, we've been praying about it, we've been talking about it for the last few months. Uh, As you guys know, I came in August, so I've been here for five months, and we've just been seeking the Lord as to how to, uh, to share this, and what is God speaking to us, and where is he leading us, and so we want to share that, and that's this series, part of that is that. It's, it's kind of rolling out what is our vision, our mission, and our values as a church. Uh, what is our unique expression, unique to us, of that call of God and his vision in our lives. And so there's three parts to it. There's a vision, which is like the goal, the big kind of vision statement, the desired end. This is what we're aiming for, right? The big picture. So you have the vision, then you have, that's our vision, and then our our way, just like God's way. We have our way, which is the three primary objectives of our church, which are the three things, upward, inward, and outward, but a unique expression of those. So we have our vision, desired goal, we have our way, and then we have our values. And the values of the church are what we align with, meaning anytime we're going to make a decision to move forward or to do something, we're going to say, as leadership in this church, does that align with our values? And so that way, because the church can just be a catch-all. We could literally do everything, anything and everything, right? And so we want to stay aligned with what God has asked us to do, right? And so the values keep us aligned with what the Spirit of God is saying to us and not just kind of grasping at the wind. And so we're going to share our values. So over the next three weeks, I'm going to share one of our three primary missional objectives, our way, and then the values that tie with that. So over the next three weeks, so three different missional objectives, our way, and then the values of each one. So we're going to share that over the next three weeks. And you're like, what about right now? Sorry, sorry. (laughs) In this series, we're going to dive into those. But right now, before we do that, I want to start at the beginning. Just like God did. Before he did anything else, before relationship with Adam began, before Eve was made, before he blessed them and multiplied them, what happened? God breathed life into Adam and he became a living being. 
the touch of God. It was the touch of God. Because how many know? We can make plans all day. We can have all the greatest plans in the world. But if God is not in it, if his presence is not on it, if his anointing and his hand is not behind it and in front of it, then it's, it's nothing. It's empty. I don't want to have a form of godliness but deny its power. I want to live in the fullness of God as a church. And in order to do that, we need the touch of God. We need his presence. We need him in everything that we do. So I want to start there. And if you look in these two stories, Ezra, the rebuilding of the temple, and the building of the church in Acts, they both start with the touch of God. It's so awesome. All right, let's look. Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. So this is interesting. In order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. So that you could say like that's the vision. God's plan, his will. In order to fulfill that, what does it say? The Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it into writing. And then he goes on to give the proclamation to go back to Jerusalem and build the temple. Right? But what does it start with? In order to fulfill the word of the Lord, God moved the heart of Cyrus. Another translation says that he stirred up the spirit of King Cyrus. So before the vision could be fulfilled, the the words of Jeremiah, the prophet that was spoken, what had to happen? God had to touch the heart. He had to stir up his spirit. He had to move his heart. And then the vision could take place. That Hebrew word there for stirred up is ur. <laughs> I, don't, I don't speak Hebrew. Ur. I don't know, it's like a gut. Ur. It means to rouse, awaken, stir up, excite, raise up, to insight, to arouse, to action, to open one's eyes. Man, I want that. I want the Holy Spirit to to rouse me up, to awaken, to stir up, to excite me, to raise me up, to arouse, to action and open my eyes. Amen? That's what I want from the Lord. And this occurs 75 times in the Old Testament. It's used, for instance, of a musical instrument being awakened or warmed up before playing. Like warming up before playing. Isaiah 54, the Lord awakens the prophet, Isaiah, each morning And it says he awakens his ear to hear as the learner, to hear from God. So there is an awakening, a spiritual eyes being opened. Jesus said it, having the ears to hear. And you have the ears to hear and the eyes to see what God is saying and what he is doing. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing, and I only say what I hear him saying. And so in order for us to walk in Jesus' example and in line with God, we too need to hear what the Spirit of God is saying and see what God is doing. But in order for that to happen, we need God to wake us up. We need him to stir us up. Both the rebuilding of the temple and the beginning of the church in Acts started with the touch of God. We need to catch the Spirit of God and what He wants to do in this church and in our city before we do any vision casting. For anything else, we need to catch the impartation of what God is doing. The heart behind it before our head then follows. Right? So we need to receive the heart. What made the temple so special 
in the Old Testament, what made it so special was God filling it. Right? It was when the glory cloud filled the tabernacle or the temple, and people couldn't even walk in. Like, it was so, God's presence was so thick, it was, and it was visible. It was clear. Everyone could feel it. God was present in this world. He was present in the tabernacle. He was present in the temple. What made it special was God's presence filled that place. And there's a difference between inspiration and impartation. So inspiration is like we hear something, and it's like, man, it moves us emotionally. And we're like, that's great. And so we are now inspired to go and to do. Now, inspiration, uh, they've done studies that I think it lasts 30 minutes or something. Like you have to act. You have to act on inspiration within 30 minutes or you lose it. So you got to move. And So anytime I watch Braveheart, I'm inspired for some reason. I don't know why not to kill anyone, but I'm inspired uh, by just his commitment or his faithfulness, his willing to sacrifice his life for freedom. So I'm always inspired by that. So I, I'm like, shoot, I have 30 minutes. <laughs> I got to do something. So I like grab my journal and I'm like writing all my, yes, yes, I'm inspired. And then, uh, yeah, and then, then it's gone the next morning. But you have to act on inspiration. But impartation, that's different. Because, and, and I know all of you have probably experienced this in some way in your life, where God touched your heart, and you felt God's presence in, in some, maybe it was a, an event or something, or a time with the Lord, and you didn't know what was happening. Like your head, you didn't, what is God doing? I just feel something, I, but I don't know what's happening. Do you know what I'm talking about? It, it's like, it's like he deposits something in us, but he doesn't tell us what it is. He's like, beep. you're like, whoa, whoa, what, what was that, God? And he's like, you're going to have to wait to find out, you know. But it's like a seed. It's like God plants a seed in our hearts, and then over time it bears fruit in our lives if we water it. But there's an impartation. God wants to impart something to us. He wants to impart, first of all, he wants to impart his spirit in us and his power in our lives, absolutely. He wants to make that impartation, that deposit, and then you see the fruit of that come out later on in so many different ways, right, in your life. Same thing with the Word of God. How many of you guys know that the Word of God can be planted in our hearts when we're younger, and you don't really see the fruit of it, but then later on you start seeing the fruit of that Word, right, come out in your life. That's an impartation. And so we need an impartation from God. We need His touch, His Spirit, Him stirring up our hearts so that we can then walk out the vision. So, how do we receive what God wants to deposit? How do we receive that, or how, does that, how is that imparted to us? Well, let's look at the book of Acts, at the beginning of the church, how they received that impartation, because they clearly received it. They were stirred up. Let's look at Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer. They all joined together constantly in prayer. 
they all join together <laughs> constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And then you see in Acts chapter 2, right, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls, they're filled with the Spirit of God, they're speaking different languages, and then the people are gathering together, and there's tongues of fire on their heads, and there's a wind, and a rushing wind, it's just crazy stuff. And then God shows up in a powerful way, Peter gets up, preaches to all these thousands of people, and then 5,000 plus women and children, all and who knows, 15,000, 20,000 people come to know Christ and make a decision to follow Jesus. And they literally ask Peter, how cool would it be to have people come up to you and ask you, what must we do to be saved? Wouldn't that be wonderful? It's like, oh, this is, this is a lot easier to share the gospel. You know, they just come up to Peter, what must we do? Okay, uh, repent. And, you know, and so... God moves and he pours out his spirit, but before that happened, first of all, they were obedient to God because they stayed in Jerusalem like God told them to do. But it says they all joined together constantly in prayer. They were stirred up, but it all began with prayer. And what made the New Testament temple so unique and special, just like the Old Testament, was the glory of God filling the temple. What made the body of Christ so just powerful was the glory of God, his spirit, his presence, filling their hearts and their lives. So let's begin this journey of casting a new vision for our church, a new direction moving forward. Let's begin that with prayer. The way they began. The way Ezra began. The way Acts began. Oswald Chambers said this, prayer does not fit us for the greater works. Prayer is the greater work. It doesn't prepare us for the greater works. It is the greater work. Because God moves when we pray. How many of you guys know that? Testimony, you've seen God move in prayer. Go ahead, raise your hand. Seen God move in prayer. Look around. God moves in prayer. So us moving versus God moving. Well, I, I, would, I would take that. Now, it's not one or the other. We both need to move. We need to be obedient to God, and then, God, and then we need to pray, and God's going to move. But prayer is the greater work. And I know we talked about it before. It's not something that all of us feel super comfortable with. But it is something that God has asked of us, and he's asked us to do. So this is what we're going to do. As a church, we are going to pray. Now, um, and I haven't even, I haven't even told the staff guys this. I just, okay, so this is what we're going to do. Wednesday mornings, okay, 6 a.m., 6 to 7 a.m., I will be here, okay? I'm going to be right here in the worship center, 6 to 7 a.m. on Wednesday mornings for the month of January. You can join me. You don't have to. I'm not saying you have to. I want you to pray. You can pray at your home. That's fine. But if you want to, I would love for you to join me. 6 to 7 a.m., I'm going to play my acoustic guitar. We're going to sing some worship songs together. It's going to be, it's going to be informal. We're going to worship, and we're going to pray. And we're going to have direction in our prayer. And we'll, we'll, I'll put some music on, you know, for us to create a, an environment for us to just pray. And you don't have to pray in front of everyone or, like, be put on the spot. You don't have to worry about that. Just, we just want to create space in our life to pray. And to see God move. 
That's important for us as a bod- as the body of Christ, as a church, to pray. So we're going to do that on Wednesday morning, 6 to 7 a.m. I'll be here. Join me. I would love for you to do that. We might have three of us. We might have 20 of us. We'll see. But we're going to pray. We're going to seek the Lord together, and we're going to pray. And here's some things that we can be praying for as a church, okay? And there's a million things. And obviously, be led by the Holy Spirit. I mean, God's going to give you things to pray. If you make time to pray, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. Things to pray for. He guides us in prayer. It's so awesome. We don't have to know everything that we're supposed to pray. He'll lead us. But here's some good places to start. We're going to pray Scripture. What better place to start than the Word of God? We're going to pray the Word, okay, over our church. Okay, so there's five different things. They're all scriptures in the New Testament. We have the two passages that we've talked about already this, year, this past year, not this year, <laughs> um, praying together corporately in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3, but also three other prayers that we can pray that we see in Acts, chapters 1 through 5, that we see in the Word. Okay, so number one, prayers for our church body, Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. Praying this passage. You guys know we've been praying this over people that don't know Christ. Father, we ask that you would increasingly give our church the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know you better. We pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in us, and your incomparably great power for us who believe. That's one prayer right there. Prayer number two, Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. Father, we ask that out of your glorious riches you would strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And we pray that our church, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all your holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and that we might know this love that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Man, that is so good. Ephesians 3. Love that one. And then number 3. This is in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Father, we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and power that we may be your witnesses in this world. He says, go and wait for the power of God to, for you to receive and be endued with power from on high. Acts 1, 8. So we pray that. Number 4. Father, we ask that you would give us all boldness to speak your word. Acts 4.29, when they were being persecuted for the first time, they got together and let's say, let's pray that God would give us boldness to speak the word. So we're going to do that. Number four, and then number five, Acts 4.30, right after that, in that same prayer in Acts chapter four, Father, we ask that you would stretch out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your son, Jesus. What I love about that prayer in Acts chapter four, by the way, is that everything they say, they say your that you would stretch out your hand to heal your son's name, your, 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 your. They were constantly, it was all about him. Meaning, like, apart from you, what? We can do nothing. So that you would stretch out your hand and that you would do these amazing things. We are submitted to you and we need you. We can't operate without you. So these are five prayers. And again, you can pray whatever the Holy Spirit leads you to pray, but these are things that I know I'm going to be praying consistently over our church, and I would love for you to join with me in that, that we can pray this, not just for our church, let's pray for all the churches in the area, that'd be awesome, but specifically, we're going to pray this over our church. Psalms 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. 
Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. God's got to build it. If anything comes from this body, it's got to be the Lord. It's got to be him. He's the one who's going to do it. It's not going to be us. It's not going to be our efforts. It's not going to be gritting our teeth and clenching our fists. God has to move. And man, when God is present, anything is possible. And so we are going to pray, and we're going to seek out his presence in our lives. And we talked about this before a few weeks back, that as a church, everything we want to do, we want to do in partnership with the Holy Spirit and his power. Like, we don't want to do anything without it, because it's empty. It doesn't matter how inspired we are. We need the Spirit of God. Without him, we can do nothing. So this is what we're going to do to close out our time here. Um, we are going to pray. <laughs> we're going to pray together. What do you know? Um, we are going to pray. So if you could put up that Ephesians 3 passage again. Could you put that one up? Number 2, I believe, on the prayer points there. There, there we go. Look at that. So awesome. All right. So this is what I want to say. Everybody just stand up. We're going to close out our service this way. Okay? going to close out our service. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray. We've done this before, but I want us to do it again. We're going to pray this together corporately in unison. Uh, and But before we do that, just close your eyes. Just close your eyes where you're at. Close your eyes and just center your attention on Jesus. Maybe you can just say the name of Jesus in your mind just over and over again. Because more than anything, when we pray we're talking to a person who is alive and in the room. So this is personal. We are talking to God. Lord, give us that reverence and that awareness that you are here and you are present. Lord, and then when we pray, we are talking to you, the living God. Center our hearts on you. All right, so let's pray this prayer. We'll start right there with Father. Let's pray and pray. Father, we ask that out of your glorious riches, you would strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And we pray that our church being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all your holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and that we might know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Man, God is good, and he is real, and he is alive, and he is present. So this week, my encouragement to you is this. Take these prayers, and we'll send them out, by the way. We're going to send them out to the whole church. We'll send them out probably tomorrow um, so you have them. But pray through these. Just take a few minutes. It doesn't take long. I mean, that took, what, like 30 seconds? So I think you could pray through these in a couple of minutes. But I would encourage you to take more time than that. But if you can or whatever comes up, you know, life happens, just take a couple of minutes and just pray through these. 
every day. I just want to see what God does and how he moves if we unite together in prayer and in seeking his heart. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Well, next week, we're going to really kick off the series, and we'll start rolling out the vision for the church. It's going to be so awesome. Super excited about that for the year. Um, I love you guys. Thank you all for coming today, and have a wonderful New Year's Day. Enjoy your weekend, 2023. Yay! We'll see you guys next week.